Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Robert Fleming. I'm here with Elizabeth Noble Rollins Freeman, my partner in the law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm. We're um, we're going to talk today about self-settled special needs trusts. In a couple of episodes earlier, we talked about third-party special needs trusts and answered a bunch of questions that one of our listeners posed. The listener did not distinguish which kind of trust, first party or third party, he wanted us to, to address, and so we chose to do third party. Today, we want to go back over some of that same territory and distinguish the, the answers for self-settled or first party trusts. We're not going to, dis, to explain the difference between them because we did that at the beginning of the earlier podcast. And so if you would like to review that, um, you can go back a couple of weeks and, and look up the earlier podcast on third party special needs trusts. Elizabeth, with that background, some of the questions that we were asked were how to do income tax returns for a special needs trust. We told people that you're going to have to file a separate income tax return for a third party special needs trust. Same answer for a self-settled special needs trust? Robert, not necessarily. Um, we need to slow down, think about who created that trust. I'm asking you. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, it doesn't matter who created the trust. It came, by definition, it came from the money of the beneficiary. I thought you were asking a rhetorical question. <laughs> uh, it came from the beneficiary's money, and therefore, they are, for tax purposes, they are treated as the creator of the trust. Correct. And so when we look at those, one of the first questions we get related to tax returns, Robert, is actually whether or not there needs to be a tax identification number for those trusts. And, you know, people arm wrestle with you all day long. And I've decided I don't want to arm wrestle with you, Robert. So I'm going to say, no, I can use the beneficiary, the person whose money is in the first party special needs trust, also referred to as a self-settled special needs trust. I can use that individual's own social security number as the tax ID for that trust. So one thing I just want to slow down here and, and help people understand is it's really important when you're analyzing tax issues with special needs trusts to go through a process of figuring out, first of all, whose money is in the trust. Today we're talking about first party special needs trust, so it's the beneficiary's money and have that lead you down the road with different tax questions. So Robert, with the special needs trust, when we're reporting that income, that income is gonna be reported for the beneficiary, for that individual. And, and you know, I, I do arm wrestle with, with people about this all the time, all over the country. I'm kind of famous, as, as you know, Elizabeth, for uh, stridently insisting that you don't need a, a, an EIN, a separate tax number for a self-settled special needs trust and that in most cases you want to use the social security number. But I need to be very clear, I don't think you have to have an EIN, but you can have an EIN if you want to. It's just that you can't file a separate 1041 fiduciary income tax return and treat it as, as a separate tax paying entity. It's a grantor trust, and if you have an EIN, your 1041 simply says, I've given all of the information to the beneficiary that they need to prepare their tax returns. If that sounds peculiar to you, you need to have a qualified CPA preparing the tax returns for the beneficiary of a self-settled special needs trust. And when you say tax return, you're talking about a 1040, correct, Robert? Correct. Just an ordinary tax return. All of the trust's income is reported on the beneficiary's 1040, which may mean a more complicated tax return. 
Um, and and uh, and oddly, the trustee may not be the person who signs the tax return for trust uh, trust income. Right. So, Robert, I think going back to your initial question, yeah, you can have a. 1041, a fiduciary income tax return for a self-settled special needs trust, but you really don't need to have one. Right. And that's, and I will say that that gets people so confused, which is one of the reasons why I like to start the analysis with the question of whether or not you can use the beneficiary's own social security number as the tax ID. That's really how I swing back around in those cases when it comes up. It's that person's money. It's going to be reported on his or her own 1040. There are some, we should probably say, because we're lawyers and you always have to qualify everything you say, there are some unusual circumstances where you do have to have an EIN even for a self-settled special needs trust. But you don't bump into them very often, and we can just discount them for purposes of today. Uh, one of the questions that was asked um, that we talked about third-party special needs trust that I want to talk a little bit about um, self-settled special needs trust is whose state law applies. Um, we said under third-party special needs trust that if grandma set up the trust in Maryland with her money and the trustee is in Missouri and the beneficiary is in Arizona, it's probably Missouri law that mostly applies. At least that's where you would sue the trustee. It might be that the trust says Maryland law applies. The eligibility is going to be determined under federal and Arizona law because that's where the beneficiary lives. Does the answer for a self-settled special needs trust differ? Good question, Robert. I would say yes. I'd say the focus is really on the beneficiary because it is the beneficiary's money in the self-settled or first-party special needs trust. You know, I, I used the horror story that if you name a California trustee, well, horror might be an overstatement, but if you name a California trustee of your third-party special needs trust, California insists on an income tax return being filed and that would also be true on a, spe- a self-settled special needs trust. So if you have a, a beneficiary who was injured or received an unqualified inheritance in Arizona and you're setting up a special needs trust naming his brother as trustee in California, you have just subjected that money to an, a separate income tax return and separate income taxes in, in California. Almost certainly, you're going to have to have an Arizona tax return and be governed by Arizona's beneficiary law. I think the only other question that I wanted to touch on from the earlier podcast is about changing trustees. Is it as easy to change the trustee of a self-settled special needs trust as it is of a third-party special needs trust? Can you pick? Can the trustee pick their own successor in the case of a self-settled special needs trust? Robert, the answer is it really depends on the terms of the trust. So we do pretty frequently see that if a trustee is named of a first-party special needs trust or a self-settled special needs trust who no longer wants to serve, there are typically provisions that will appoint a successor. Remember here that the beneficiary cannot be his or her own trustee. That's super important. And also remember that we can't just have any trustee pick another trustee because it sounds like a good idea. So Robert, I would say that the answer is yes, you can make changes. And and yes, we do oftentimes see trustees change with first party special needs trusts. But the reporting and the blessing of these trusts under the court is, is often far more relevant and important and frequent when we see changes about trustees um, with first party special needs trusts 
One of the reasons is because the payback provision in a self-settled or first-party special needs trust that pays money back to the entities, to the government entities that provided benefits to the beneficiary during his or her lifetime, that entity is going to want to track who is actually in charge. Uh, and the other thing to keep in mind often with self-settled special needs trusts, it's not required and it's not in every instance, but courts are often involved in the administration of those trusts. So uh, even if you have a provision in the trust saying you can change the trustee, if there's court accounting, it may not be so simple. It may require a court order to change the change the trustee. And because of the exposure for trustees of first party special needs trusts, um, I, I would always veer on the side of caution there before appointing anybody who wasn't blessed by the court or um, that didn't have the proper notice provided to the state entity that was yielding or providing benefits. Here's a question that wasn't really asked, but it's my last question, Elizabeth, and, and I just want to touch on it because it comes up so often. Let's say that I am the trustee of a self-settled special needs trust for my sister who was injured in a car accident, brain injury. She, she needs a lot of help. There's not really enough money in that trust to take care of her. I want to put her in my own estate plan. Can I leave some money or give some money to her self-settled special needs trust? No. Well, that was easy. <laughs> we don't want to commingle funds, Robert. It's so important people understand this. We do not recommend it is a bad, bad idea for a third party to put third party money into a self-settled special needs trust. At the very beginning, uh, you can see pretty easily that I would be exposing my money to her payback provision. And in fact, I, if I'm going to leave a few thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars to help take care of her on her death, I want her children to receive that money or maybe my children or my favorite charity or somebody else. Uh, and, and putting it in her self-settled special needs trust just means that the state would get the money back. That's not what I want. Yeah, so it's not a good idea. So let's, let's leave that Robert, where it is, so we don't give people any bad ideas. I, I think I liked the simple answer, no. Let's just go back to that and say, no, you can't do that. Don't do it. Just say no. That's really all I wanted to talk about, about self-settled special needs trust. Please refer back to our earlier podcast episodes where we talked about several of these ideas in the context of third-party special needs trust. And, um, and if you have questions or concerns about special needs trust, or other elder law issues. Oh, hey, that's the name of our podcast, Elder Law Issues. And, uh, and I'm Robert Fleming. I'm one of the partners in the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. My uh, uh, co-host, co co my partner in this proceeding. <laughs> what the heck do we call each other? I think we call each other Elizabeth and Robert. My co-host is Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. And, uh, and, and we hope that you will feel free to ask your questions and join us on our next podcast episode.